Hello, and welcome back to the Lost Legends of Scadriel Mistborn Adventure Game Podcast. I'm your host and narrator. You can find me online at Fifth of Daybreak, and with me we have the rest of the Lost Legends. Hi, I'm John. I go by Clovermite Online, and I play Tony Darkomance. I'm David, and I play Lord Falcone. My name is Brian, and my character's called Pazmo. I'm Kelly, and I play Merida. Today we're going to do a little bit something different for our episode. Uh, we just finished up our 16 episodes, which comprises the major first arc of the podcast. And so uh, David thought it would be a lot of fun to just get everybody together and kind of have a review episode where we sit down and we talk about everything that's happened and our reactions to it. And uh, just sort of have a chill episode reflecting on everything that's gone on since episode one. So to get things started, the first thing that I'm curious about is how everybody is enjoying the Mistborn Adventure game itself, and not necessarily the storyline and what we've been playing, but what they think of it as a role-playing system. And we've got varying levels of degree with experience in uh, role-playing games in the group, so I am especially uh, excited to see how each person who's had those varying degrees of experience reacts to it. So uh, let's start with Brian, because I'm pretty sure you've had the least experience with role-playing games. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's definitely a different experience playing a, I guess this would be tabletop, not tabletop, what is it called, pad and paper? Uh, tabletop RPG. Tabletop, yeah, it's kind of different doing that, but I mean, I really like the way that the characters have been slowly developing throughout the series, seeing them overcome hurdles in their own way, and come up with ideas to bring the team closer towards their ultimate goal. Kelly, do you have any thoughts? Uh, as someone who has, like, less experience than you guys, but, like, a pretty decent amount, I really like it. It's definitely a little bit different from what normally is, but I think it's a really nice touch, like, with the battle system and everything. It just, it seems really cool to me, and I like how everything in Mistborn is, like, put into it, and it's really enjoyable. David? Well. I really like the game mechanics. It's super great. And I love Mistborn as a whole, so all that fits into a perfect niche for me. So I don't really even have any gripes with this system. Once I've got to know it, it all seems pretty fair, pretty balanced. You can't do crazy things without the prerequisite requirements for it, so... And it also seems, at least the way we've played it so far, pretty relaxed. There's not a lot of, like, inventory management, nothing that kind of slows this pace down. It's all story, really. So, that's cool. I really like it. John, I think you've probably got the most experience here with role-playing games. Yeah, and I've got a lot to say, but I'll try not to ramble too much here. <laughs> I think I'll I'll start. Overall, I, I really like it. I like the emphasis on the narrative play. It's a lot of what I enjoy about, say, like the Edge of the Empire system, the Star Wars RPG. I really like that emphasis on the narrative aspect of interpreting things and the fact that you delineate between success and between having like extra good effects. So I, I see a very similarity here in Mistborn Adventure Game is what I really liked there with the Fantasy Flight Star Wars system. I think my absolute favorite thing is the emphasis that the character creation put on having a tragedy being one of the core things that you establish for your character. It's something that I never would have thought of, but I, I think you can see in just the very first episode of the podcast how that really gave a focal point for everyone to really dig deep. And for me, it's it's probably the deepest character I've ever created right off the bat. And I think it's specifically because of that choosing a tragedy. Uh, I really love the fact that you can have uh, non-physical combat, the fact that you can you know attack someone's willpower or attack the reputation, rather than just having to focus on, on fighting as part of the combat. I think... We haven't really explored much of the possibilities there yet, but I think they're awesome. Um, the, the biggest complaint I would have, I don't like how the dice pools work for the combat. 
it, it feels constraining to me that if, for instance, I want to do something that wouldn't generate a lot of dice, that I'm going to be susceptible, much more susceptible to dying. And if I want to defend myself, then I need to go later in the combat order. And it also decreases my ability to do what I actually declared my action for. So the, the combat itself, the mechanics, I'm not as big a fan of, but most of the rest of the system I really like. Well, John, let me cut in. On the tragedy thing, it is Brandon Sanderson, and almost every <laughs> single main character is tragic as you can get a character. I mean, Vin didn't have a yeah. really great life, so I mean, it, it makes sense just the fact that it came from him and his universe, and Mistborn is kind of a dark world, really. So, oh, yeah, no, there's no complaints from yeah. there. I was, uh, I was just I, saying I just wanted to comment I feel on like it really helped. It's, it's just perfect well, yeah, Sanderson. Going with the David okay. I mean, if it, the bunny rabbits are supposed to be as dark as what you say they are, that there's these, like, gelatinous creatures <laughs> that have human well, hands and stuff that seem kind of twisted. You know where those creatures came from originally? Well, uh -oh. they, they were humans transformed into that. Oh. Yeah. That's how that's, the race that's started. Even less dark. Yep. Uh, well, I think that's a it, good segue into the next thing I wanted to ask. But real quick, I'm just going to echo a lot of what John and David said. I like how a lot of the mechanics uh, come from a place of flavor. You know, especially what David was saying about the tragedy, and it just it all fits in the Mistborn world in a way I don't think that many other games, um, other than Edge of the Empire, has really been able to make it fit. And uh, having played Edge of the Empire 2, I really like some of the mechanics they've done. And so with the ability that um, the, the explicit, uh, it's explicitly stated in the Mistborn rulebooks that I'm allowed to toss out any rules I don't like, ignore anything I want from the canon, which is a narrator is just absolutely great. But um, I've been able to take some of the Edge of the Empire uh, mechanics and kind of incorporate them into the Mist Mistborn Adventure game, so I've started treating the spirit roles more like using force points in that system, and I think that's a really great way to give the players more chances to interact and change things and allow them to shape the story in ways that I wouldn't be able to, or you wouldn't be able to in things like Dungeons and Dragons, where they've got a dungeon and you can't change anything about the dungeon because everything's planned out. And so um, I honestly think my favorite part about the game is just how much interactivity it gives the players with the world. And it really puts a focus on group storytelling instead of just meta play. You know, there's no, there's no focusing on which characters you need to multi-class to get the, me the best meta, uh, meta character or anything like that. You just, you're really trying to create stories. And I think that's something that a lot of us really appreciate. Yeah, especially with like the whole resource role thing, not having to worry about the money defocuses the emphasis, defocuses loot and focuses more on what do you want to do rather than what do you want to get. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I agree and, with that. One yeah, more, I can see that being pretty passing. One more quick plug uh, that you don't necessarily see listening to the podcast, but the manual itself, the book for the Mistborn Adventure game, they go into really painstaking and interesting detail about how the various magic systems work. So there's a lot of really good material there that, you know, doesn't necessarily come out as much in the podcast, but I did want to praise that. Oh, and the artwork in these books is absolutely amazing. I can't emphasize it enough that these books are worth having just to see all of the different artworks that they've come up with. Yeah, and... It seems like they've answered any questions we've had whatsoever, like, up until this point, like, I know me and Trevor have had a couple things where we've, like, thought about it, couldn't find an answer off the bat, but later found the answer in clear detail somewhere else in the book, like, I don't know, sometimes the organization in it isn't the best, I would say that, but it is an amazing resource, like, with a lot of flavor. I haven't even gone all the way through it yet. 
And I, I know I keep saying one last thing, but I promise <laughs> this is the one last thing about the game specifically. Yes, literally yesterday I, I walked into the local gaming store here in DC, uh, Labyrinth Games, and I, I was asking about it because I, I haven't yet bought my own copy and I thought, oh, I'll support my local game store and, you know, finally buy a physical copy of the rule book. And, uh, they were, they didn't have it. They told me they've been trying to get a hold of it and it's, uh, on back order right now. So they're doing really well, apparently. So, yeah, the guys at Crafty Games just, they couldn't be better. They've been super supportive of us with the podcast and they're, they put out great products. I don't know if anybody else, um, other than the group that I've played with has played the Mistborn, uh, the House War game, but, the flavor in that board game and the mechanics of play are just so much fun. The first game I ended up playing as House Venture and made it so that way Vin's problem didn't get solved. And so I won the game with House Venture being the least favorable with the Lord Ruler. And the flavor alone for that made me happy in a way that I just can't even describe. It's a very fun game. Yeah. It's unique. It's not. It's not a stand. It feels like it's not a standard, typical, and very analytically based uh, experience. It's been something that's been fluid and organic, and I like the way that it sort of melds to the situation rather than it being a something that holds the group back. It's kind of something that adds flavor to the experience as a whole. It's very additive. Yeah, like. You don't really get a lot of, you can't do that. It's more, well, you can do this if. Yeah, the basic rule of improv. Yes, and. And I love that about this system. <laughs> uh, I want to ask Brian something. Uh, there's been a couple of hints throughout it, throughout the podcast about it, but Brian is the only one in the group who hasn't actually read the Mistborn series, even though I went through painstaking detail to try and explain as much as possible to him. So, uh, what, how does it feel to play in this world that you, you're not necessarily very knowledgeable in, and you've just kind of been thrown into it with, uh, a little bit of a primer? Well, some of the stuff is kind of like, that's that's like you find out the di- how deep the layers for for this universe are, <laughs> and it can kind of be a little intimidating. But overall, I think that it is been uh, I don't want to say a typical fantasy experience because if it does have its its nuance to the to the universe that that presents it in a way that's kind of like you never really would have thought of a fantasy universe uh, based around the premise of using metals to certain alchemy powers and stuff like that and just all the different make the actual mechanical aspects of the universe like that there's there's no guns or that's something else that i was going to ask on i was thinking about the boat that that is technically a vehicle how was this thing powered was this by paddles or what did this have some sort of rudimentary uh locomotive engine of some sort that utilizes this energy? Or? I think that one was a canal boat, right? Or just like a... Uh, well, I know I said for the one boat that you guys recovered that it did have sails. Um, it, it's so interesting in the the Katasandra era because the Lord Ruler specifically repressed certain technologies. And so you've got certain industrial age things like canned food and all of this sort of things. Whereas the rest of technology that would normally have advanced along the way has not been able to progress because he had such a tight hold on the world. Uh, and it's interesting that you mentioned guns specifically because the, um, there's a sequel to the main series that occurs about 300 years after where we're recording in the timeline. And you get to see all of these magic powers used with guns and used in industrial era settings where there's trains and skyscrapers being built. And that's where the second group is going to be uh, playing, is around in the Alloy of Law era. And so uh, the, the books themselves are fantastic. I'm sure I don't need to tell anybody listening to this podcast how good Brandon Sanderson is. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Flintlock Fantasy with Mistborn Powers is just such a really cool setting as well. I, I just have to point out how funny it is that Brian's first comment about the Mistborn world is, oh, there's so many layers, because there's kind of an unofficial motto about the Mistborn universe, uh, spoken by the one of the main characters, there's always another secret. With how Brandon Sanderson is, that's pretty accurate. 
<laughs> yeah, not just dub out his porn. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. Let's not even yeah, get a, started uh, with Cosmere stuff. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, not Mistborn related, but Stormlight related. Edge Dancer blew my mind by just how tiny of a secret he'd been throwing in front of our faces the whole time. <laughs> I should say, giant secret uh, that had tiny details. Yeah, no spoilers, but when I first read An- Edge Dancer, I'm like, this is not normal Brandon. He didn't give us any clues. And then I reread the first two books. I'm like, They're oh my there. god, all the clues. They're all there. <laughs> uh, but let's let's refocus and start talking about the actual story. Sure. Uh, anybody have anything that they want to just jump in and start saying? One thing that I um, that I liked about is when I started this, I, I had a simple idea for Merida, but I wasn't really sure where I was going with it or anything. And then as we got more into it, I figured like what I wanted to do with their character out and became more comfortable with it. And I feel like that happened with other people as well. And I really like what we've done to grow the characters and their interactions and everything. I think it's been really awesome. I think we ha- we all have a huge like platform built as characters to like jump off in the the second installment. Yeah. I think we all did a really good start to generating our characters in this first 15 episodes. 16. 16? Okay. Yeah, 16. Well, that's I think it's 16. Trevor, did you mean to do that? <clears throat> oh my god, no. That's but clever. That's, that's amazing. Super- oh shit, I didn't think about that. <laughs> <laughs> it was destined to be. That's oh wow. I we just blew my own mind. Yeah, I I thought Wait, what, like, that, that would have been super clever, like a Trevor. Holy but... number in the Mistborn universe. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a super yeah. important number. Then that is pretty ironic. In a universe where numbers usually matter. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm just kind of flabbergasted right now. That worked out so well. Well, and other things to just throw out there, I'm just going to address the mist rabbit in the room. David, you fucking threw Fluffles in the river. <laughs> congratulations for keeping it a secret. I think if anyone was paying attention to either the YouTube comments or the Reddit thread where I posted the link for episode 7... You may have noticed I left a comment directed at Falcombe. To to give context, we recorded that episode like a year ago. A year and like two weeks between when that episode was recorded and when it was released. And I had absolutely no idea that Falcombe was responsible for leaving Fluffles behind until literally I just finished posting the link. I started listening to the episode and I'm like, son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a uh, that was something Falcone might have planned even before the battle. I think it was a moment of opportunity. Trevor, when was the first time I think I said I wanted to <laughs> get rid of Fluffles? Um, I want to say it was sometime around episode four okay. because I know you had mentioned saying it. Um, I, I don't remember the specific episode, but you had mentioned it to me. And then Brian, out of nowhere, mentioned wanting to steal Fluffles just to see what John's reaction would be. <laughs> like, in the middle of the episode, I'm like, oh, well, this is this is a budding thought across the group. That's great. It was there all along. And not in a mean-spirited oh, way. So, but... No. Uh, I want to address the other uh, Mist Rabbit in the room. Brian, you had me guessing the whole time as to whether or not Tajmil was going to A, die, B, run off with the ATM and leave the group high and dry, C, uh, try and steal it and fail and have his own adventure until we found a way to resolve that story-wise, or, (laughs) as he finally ended up doing, joining up with the rest of the group. At what point did you decide that that's what Tajmil was going to do? Well, I mean, Tajmil's character is, you know, a rapscallion and stuff, so he kind of lives his life very tentatively. And honestly, the decisions for any of that was based upon, like, 
the initial input or the or the what was happening to him in the story at the given time rather than it being like uh what what direction does he maintain because he's somebody who he's living on the streets he's had to you know think on his feet a lot and and learn to change to situations and be very adaptable to things so there there really wasn't any time it's like i have a basic recipe for what the character is and then it's very much uh call it like a larry fine approach he's very reactionary to the situation what i find funny and ironic is the fact at that moment should have been the moment where everyone trusted you in the gang but the way you acted, no one trusts you in the game, but none of them wants to kick you out. I Tony <laughs> trusts him. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, that, one of his traits of is shifty-eyed. Uh, That's not something good. <laughs> my favorite moment in the entire first season has to be when the ATM just got locked up. And Tony puts it in the safe and is just like, Oh, well, here, let me write have the servants write down the combination and we'll give it to Merida. And then Tajmil immediately busts in, well, I don't trust you guys. I think you're going to steal it from me. And so I want that combination as well. And Tony's just like, yeah, that makes sense. Here, have the combination to the safe. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, that's like giving the keys to the insane. It was a beautiful moment. <laughs> and then Tajmil spends the next two episodes trying to get back to Tony's house before the rest of them. And just failing miserably. And so, you know, the rest is history. He ends up not ending up stealing it. But, like, he really kept me guessing the whole season as to whether or not Brian was going to have to make a new character. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was really worried there for a minute that that fight was going to take me out. Getting some bad rolls. Took an arrow to the knee. How many times do you think you will try and just smash and grab and run away with whatever the most valuable thing we've just acquired is? I think that'll happen every That's time. That's the whole thing about having that spirit level so high that I could like roll twice as it gives me that thought. Well, if I fail on the first time, I always get a second, you know? <laughs> so it, it's, it's very, uh, I don't know. It's very enticing to, to want to just be very visceral and, and cathartic. This is why none of us trust you except Tony. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, I absolutely love the introduction of Wittens. <laughs> Wittens is great. Yeah, Wittens was... Uh, I don't want to pat myself on the back too much, but kind of a stroke of genius on my part, because I was able to bring some of those consequences in on everybody for the choices they made, Tony especially in that instance, but it also gave me a way as the narrator to interact with Tony and give him some direction or fill in gaps with a character instead of me just saying, well, I want to remind you guys, this is not your boat, and having a character to do that with. And so uh, I just, I love playing as Wittens. It, it finally gives me a chance to feel like I'm part of the group. I will cut you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to think of Wittens as Tony's Alfred. Yeah, and that's kind of what I thought going in. He's a beautiful character. I I also love how he's he's not he's not really an objective party. He's he's clearly like Tony is my favorite child, and while I would like him to do well, he will never be completely wrong in my eyes. And frown uh, upon anyone who thinks otherwise. It's adorable. Tony's got to have somebody in that family who cares about him. <laughs> That's true. true. Well, that that was that was the whole concept of Fluffles from the beginning, and that was why when Fluffles was gone, I was like, "This destroys Tony. Like this is the only person that he conceived of as actually caring about him. That is not even a real person." I mean, Wittens obviously changes that, but I didn't have Wittens in mind, um, you know, when I created the character. And obviously, until you introduced him, I didn't have knowledge of him. Maybe that's why uh, Tony's character in Tajmil interacts so well, because of the, I mean, his character's background is kind of similar to that of the lack of love in his life and just a regular scamp. I think of it more yeah. of a con artist than a mark. <laughs> relationship where just for <laughs> whatever reason Tajmil has not yet robbed him blind 
Well, but I think that kind of reinforces what Brian's saying. Oh, yeah. uh, there's the point in episode nine where uh, Tony's unconscious and John flat out metagames and says, hey, I'm going to remind Tajmil that there is a gold pocket watch that Tony carries around. And Tajmil didn't even think about stealing it. I mean, he might have then spread his food all over Tony's body and let Sonichu peck at him. <coughs> he didn't steal the pocket watch. Well, and, and not only that, but uh, when I was really surprised at the moment when, you know, Tony's having his temper tantrum and and Tajmil is immediately like, well, no, Tony's my buddy. I've got his back. Like, we're going to this island. Like, you guys go ahead with the mission, get the ATM, but I'm going to help him out. Well, at the same time, also saying, okay, well, if maybe I can maneuver Falcom and Merida into going with him, and I can make it back to Tony's place. Yeah, he totally did say, oh, I'll take the ADM back. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure... <laughs> no, no, I'm was... talking about b- before, right? This was, this was oh. before we got the ATM. This was while Tony was like, I've just hired the oh, boat yeah, to go yeah, back, no. and I'm going to wait here. No, you're right, you're right. I'm missing. Oh, no, he he definitely did both. Oh, he, yeah. He said that he's going to go with Tony, and then a couple sentences later, it's just like, yeah, okay, how about Lord Falcombe goes with Tony, and I will take the metallurgist back. That's true. That's the beauty of Tajmo's character. He's got both the soft side, and he's got that compulsion to steal. Always, that's always something that's lingering in the background of his of his head. It's it's almost like a kleptomaniac. Like it's just taking things that like, what's the point of even taking this? You know, stealing the curtains from a hotel room. There's there's no value. What are you doing? <laughs> I think at that point, but it's that's not the type almost... of person that he would be, or perhaps a teacup. The dang teacup. I love the teacup scene. Oh yeah, that was a nice gift. <laughs> I knew if I just laid that thread down, Brian would pick it up and run with it. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally. You know, one thing that I uh, that's really, really amused me going back and editing the episodes is Merida's inability to separate Tesney and Fent as two different people. <laughs> they did have the same voice. No, they were slightly different. No, I was just, at some point... Uh, Fent was Cockney. He wasn't Brooklyn. Oh, he wasn't? Yeah. I don't know how they it all happened. blend together, and I'm pretty sure you mix them up once or twice as well, Trevor. I, yeah, but that was after yeah. like six months. Yeah, and, and the magic of editing erased all evidence of that. Oh, okay, except mine, except for hers. But, but in his defense, uh, I can clearly distinguish between them. Like when Tesney speaks, if you know he's using the the accent he usually uses, I know it's Tesney, and when Fent speaks. I know it's Fent based off his accent. Listen, okay, it's all my fault, but I was just like, I think somehow with, like, Tajmil getting on, like, Tesney's, like, nerves or something, something in my head clicked to him being Fent or something, and I have no clue why, but it was just like, yes, let's do this, let's screw over that little bastard. (laughs) Well, it's funny, though, even more so, because it does actually fit your character. Your character is like, yeah, I could be nice, but uh, fuck you. <laughs> that, that does As work. evidenced by her attempts to console Tony. Tony, you're being stupid. Kick. <laughs> <laughs> she is not a very nice person. Yeah, in, in my mind, and this won't really make a whole lot of sense to the audience, but I'm going to share it anyway. In my mind... Merida and your character in our Star Wars RPG game we play. Is it Gorin? Was that his name? Yeah, that's his name. I'm like, these are pretty much the same people, but in different universes. Yeah, I realized that yesterday. Which is fine, because uh, Tony and Rice, my D&D character in our other group, are very, very similar in many regards. One thing I love is just, like, Tony and Merida's relationship... Because Tony is just like, yeah, Merida is so cool, I totally respect her. And Merida just looks at Tony like, this is a dumb dog that I need to protect. And he even wags his tail for you. <laughs> so, uh, uh, metagaming, since that's what we're doing right now, Falcom, does he feel like the leader yet? No. No, well, Falcom... <laughs> Falco might feel like he's having to take the leadership role, but he doesn't want to be the leader still. That it's antithetical to his actual character. 
He doesn't want to tell everybody else what to do, even though that's usually how it has to happen so that things get accomplished. Merida totally tries to take the leader role and fails. There's still room I, for you to be the leader. Yeah, like, Falcone really would welcome that. Like, Falcone usually <laughs> looks at Merida's like, please, you one reasonable person, help me. Help me, help me make a plan. Well, and I, I've gotten the feeling that Merida doesn't necessarily want to be the leader because she doesn't want to admit that she's part of the group yet. Yeah, that's pretty accurate, too. She just wants to be in control of things. Like, Tajmil, he, you can definitely tell that he wants to be included with everything. He just doesn't know how. I think Merida knows how to be the leader and doesn't want to be part of the group. She's just been going along with the flow to get what she wants up to this point. And with Falcone, too, like, he he has, like, a ton of leadership, like, training, I guess. He's, he's done the thing before, but that's in a large part why he doesn't want to do anything like that now. I don't know. But I think Lord Falcone's with the group largely out of some sense of responsibility at this point. <laughs> to just... I think Lord Falcone cares the most. Yeah, yeah that's accurate. In a way, like... I don't know. A lot of that hasn't been revealed, though. There's a lot of backstory that goes into Falcone. A lot. I don't know. Trevor, would you say Falcone has the most backstory? I know Tony has a lot. Um, I, I would tend to agree with you, but it's probably the backstory that's been revealed the least. Yeah, no, like, yeah, there's... I've always wondered what is uh, Lord Falcone's backstory. Well, I think I've revealed his hatred for the Coloss, and he he has... And his hatred for Mistrace. Uh, yeah. In in a way, I... there There's a lot of nuance that yeah, goes into that. It, Trevor knows all of this, so I'm not just, like, pulling it out my butt, but it's... <laughs> It's, uh... Once you know, everything makes yeah, sense. Yeah, <laughs> like, I have played this character, I think, perfectly RP-wise so far. Nice. As far as my backstory has been set out with Trevor. Oh, yeah, I just, uh, started listening to... What is it, the episode 10? What's the one we're editing now, Trevor? Uh, episode 9. Episode 9. See, so, yeah, I just started listening to that, and like, oh, wait, he speaks directly with Harmony? That's an interesting tidbit I didn't know. Yeah. Do you think I have the most secret recordings at this point, Trevor? Yeah, probably. I'm just yeah. now hearing about all this well, stuff. Do you guys remember the few times during recording sessions where Trevor's like, me and David are just going to go talk for a minute? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. We're just in the other channel, like, what do we do now? And I had I'm always like, let's talk shit. And then they always come back before we can talk shit. Yeah. <laughs> and for your edification, Brian, that's Lord Falcombe talking to God. Oh. I'm on a mission for okay. or, yeah. Actually, more accurately, God talking to Lord Falcombe. That pleases me. That's what, what we, I was going to try and do with my, the first character I thought of. It's been a lot of fun as the narrator. Uh, having people with secrets, though, like Brian and uh, David with Lord Falcombe and Tajmil, because it gives me a lot more options to subtly weave things into the story. And so I, I definitely appreciate that. And uh, with the other group that I've just started recording with, I've definitely got a little bit of that as well. And that's a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to when you pull uh, Jim into the story. Definitely. I, I, I've got Jim. some... Uh, some ideas for that for when we start season two, probably right when we start it. But the opportunity just hasn't presented itself. Yeah, I, I love how you brought in um, brought in Tony's mom. I wasn't expecting it like that or that early, but very well done. But uh, Brian, to to clue you in, Tony Darkomancy is a blatant rip off of uh, the Penny Arcade guys, uh, Jim Dark Magic, and then. I did that as a specific nod. I loved what they did with that D&D. &D. I'm like, oh, I want to do this. Uh, and then the immediate thought was, oh, people are just going to say you're copying it, which David did. Uh, so I was like, well, that's part of my character, too. So Jim Darkomancy is a character in the mist, you know, in our universe. And the whole reason Tony became a magician was because he wanted to become famous like his cousin Jim. 
And so he basically, like, plagiarized his act. (laughs) He sucks as a magician, so it's not quite a plagiarism. It's just a a sad copy. I've I've gone back and forth on that. My initial reaction was just to... I messaged Trevor on the Discord, and I'm like, you do know about this whole thing, right? Like, I, I didn't know if it would be a problem with him or anybody. And I didn't know at that point how closely you were going to like follow that thing but you're ta- you're pretty much besides the name unrelated to the character you know yeah. like you play it completely differently than that character in every regard so it's just a yeah, nod which was my original intention yeah. yeah i wanted to be like i loved jim dark magic awesome character and i want to do a very like nice head nod and then you know honor him even further by having him actually being a character although uh, will not be what Jim Dark Magic is actually like either. It helps that I haven't listened to any of the Penny Arcade stuff. <laughs> Which you should because at least the first few they did were amazing. Even even the one where Will Wheaton comes in. I, it's great fourth edition it. though and that sucks to listen to. Fourth edition? D&D. D&D. It's, it's just like for every 30 minutes of roleplay and story, it seems like with 4th edition, there's an hour of, like, monotonous grid-based combat. That's true, but they're hilarious. Yeah, they, they, they do it well. They, they minimize the combat in ways that a lot of other podcasts I've listened to just don't. Well, uh, let, let's not spend some time talking about other podcasts. <laughs> kind of refocus here. I know for me, so, I didn't have much backstory going in, but I know in the future I'm trying to work with Chubber to fix that. Yeah, like, Meredith seems like a really open slate with a lot going on, but no one can pin down what. Well, and that has its advantages, too, yeah. because as open as it is, if you go in there with, like, very specific things, it gives me more to work with. But if you go in there open um, with just a couple of main points, like Brian did with Tajmil, then it gives you more room to play with it. Yeah, for So it really real. depends on if you want to be an architect or a gardener to use some writing terms. Definitely. I would say that that's true. Uh, I I want to say one thing. Like, I seriously have played all 16 episodes, I think, thinking that Merida was from a noble house. <laughs> like, and oh, Trevor funny. told me that you weren't, I think. When did you tell me that, Trevor? Not too long ago. Oh, I don't remember, but it doesn't help that Merida told everybody she was from the Noble House. Yeah. So. <laughs> she lies out of her teeth. Hey. She is a spy. Yeah. Kind of with the territory. Yeah. But I think, like, now it fits my, it fits with my person that much of my backstory isn't in the first season because she is very secretive and will not give anything away if she can help it. Give nothing. Take everything. Yeah. yeah, and actually, like, the, there's a mechanic that has gone largely completely ignored, I think, right, Trevor? We haven't used secrets at all. Have we? Um, not really. There's been a couple of times where you've gotten secrets. Yeah. And mostly. Really, now. it's, um, I, I should put in that everybody now knows the secret that Alloy is a, uh, uh, ferrochemist. Okay. Because that's, that's one of the big ones. But really, most of the secrets that have been present in the game have been character-oriented secrets, and the characters haven't really gotten aggressive enough with each other that they want to use them. One of the basic mechanic things that secrets can do is if you pull them out in a reputation fight in public, you can immediately deal two reputation damage by revealing that secret. So, uh, Trevor, I got a question for you. This might be off topic, just a tad bit. But does Snee know my secret? The full secret? Uh, Snee definitely knows enough. Okay. Because there was that one time I think you were about to whip out a secret if you had to. Yeah, yeah. He, he, know, he knows enough to be dangerous. I wouldn't say he necessarily knows everything. Okay. But he, he's, got, he's got the general outline. I gotcha. We'll say that Merida has kept every single secret. <laughs> Except for this plans to Lord Mistborn's manor. That one well, was I mean, broadcast. she still kept it, she just ruined them. 
What were you going to say, Brian? Oh, I was going to say, um, are secrets like we talked about how I learned an embarrassing secret about someone or? Yeah, yeah I think, uh, you learned the embarrassing secret about the guy with the boat. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought he, he learned the one about Helen Eric Keller. Was that, that was me. Uh, Wait. Yes, it was. It was. No, Merida knew that yeah. one. You found the secret when you were going through the boat, uh, when you first got there. Right on. Which I so never like specified that what that was. In the story? Uh, this guy is not just obsessed with uh, Vin. As, Wait, do you like, want to reveal it? I I think it's just point. a little bit of fun. Uh, it's not really a plot point, and I'm not sure you guys will ever necessarily deal with them again. Because I know John, you said that you'd rather go and talk to uh, Dale Bowman. So um, this guy, when he mentioned that uh, he named his ship the Lady Mistborn, he loves her as if his own daughter. He he was then not no not talking about his boat anymore, but started talking about the Lady Mistborn. And so, <laughs> Brian, the secret that he found was a little bit of fan fiction about him being uh, Vin's father. Oh my god! <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Weird. This is like Mori Povich. That makes me happy. Yeah, I love Dale Bowman. You like pulled him out of your ass, and I'm like, no, I love his accent. I love his character. He's great. Yeah, the comedic timing between Lord Falcom and Tajmil when uh, they brought back the train of mistwraiths. That was gold. <laughs> you are trying to bring a mistwraith on my boat? You want to bring two mistwraiths on my boat? <laughs> Gotta get him out of there somehow. Unless you leave one behind. Single tear shed for unnamed mistwraiths. You know, I, I had to do something. I, I spent the entire time between those two recording sessions figuring out how to stop this from happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of put the onus on Trevor on that one. I was like, here's what I'm going to do. You figure the rest out. <laughs> so uh, let's kind of talk about the story as a whole. Um, I, I've obviously knowing everything that's going to go on after this first season, I was really excited to one reveal that he's a ferrochemist and then two, uh, do the big reveal about him wanting you guys to steal from the Lord Mistborn. So, like, story as a whole from start to episode 16, uh, how have you guys been feeling about it? I like it. I mean, it's a pretty, it's a lot to take in as someone who's not familiar with the background of, of the uh, universe and everything. So it's like you're kind of taking in two aspects of this. You're taking in the story that you're making and then you're having to take in all of the ins and outs of the workings of this reality that we're in. And I, I, I like it. I, I feel like that it is teed up for season two to really be something that is, uh, almost, uh, more like, uh, back to the future three, where it's more of an, you know, an action adventure than it is something that's a story driven thing solely by dialogue and, and, and gathering stuff. It just feels like, you know, we're getting ready to do a big heist. Yeah, we did have a lot of exposition in season one. I but that's that's necessary though for first season. I mean that that's a that's an absolute requirement, really. I really like it for me that it's like half and half, or maybe a little more like story than fighting. But for me, I'm more story driven when I listen to podcasts and stuff. And for ours, where it's mostly story and there's a bunch of twists and just really interesting characters, it's just really enjoyable. And if, like, for me, if I wasn't a part of it and I watched it for the first time, I would fall in love with it because it's amazing. Says the person who's only listened to episode four so far. <laughs> yeah, but I'm also like, I know what's happened, so it's like, I already, I already listened to it. <laughs> uh, I, I, I told Trevor this privately. Uh, I was really impressed with his ability to foreshadow with Fent and uh alloy because I, I i never really caught the implications while we were uh filming or recording the first episode or even the the first time i listened to it but then just after we recorded the episode where alloy kills fent i forget what it was where i went back and i listened to that first episode i'm like oh shit he totally planned that from the beginning like for an RPG where you don't really know what's going to happen, to be able to add foreshadowing like that, I was super impressed. Thank you very much. 
Yeah, I think you've done an excellent job with all your planning and just making the story go where everything comes back and it it's very enjoyable. Yeah, I I agree. I, I like the way that you tell stories and stuff and you always seem to have something for whatever's needed at hand in it. Uh, well, and at the same time, what I've tried to avoid... Oh, sorry, go ahead, David. Oh, I was just going to congratulate you even further. I have liked it so far. Uh, you've done really well laying down as many tracks as necessary, and then when we choose one that you didn't list, then uh, flowing with that really well, and then somehow bringing it back to an actual conclusion. <laughs> Yeah, and I've I've really enjoyed not keeping a tight rein. Um, one of the last things that I want to do for the podcast itself is any sort of railroading. So if at any point during the first season you guys were like, you know, we've kind of formed this nice group. We don't really need to be in the criminal underworld. Screw that guy, Alloy. We're just going to go and do our own stuff. I, I mean, I would have been disappointed, obviously, but like this is your guys' story as much as it is mine. And so when we go and we get in these little hijinks that mess up some of my plans, like going to rescue Fluffles, um, I, I like to be able to kind of roll with the punches and try and make a compelling story out of that instead of being like, no, you guys can't leave the city. I've got X, Y, and Z that I've got set up that is time sensitive. Uh, and so you guys aren't able to book passage. I don't want to do that at all. I want to let you guys really control the reins of the story. And then I'm just going to put down possibilities for where you need to go. Hashtag death to gavel. <laughs> yeah, that one hurt. <laughs> it doesn't have to. Do, I I do want to see us bring Gavel in. I'm just not sure how because Tony is. I, I, well, I tried tr try to avoid too much metagaming with Tony. Although in the battle, I'm definitely guilty of some of that. But uh, Tony is just not the one who can speak up and say, "Hey, let's go save this guy." Tony's the follower. He's not the leader. But to that note, I, I would like to eventually move away from the crime thing, because that's definitely not what motivates Tony. Tony wants to be famous, and the whole rescuing the metallurgist thing was something that definitely fit exactly in his alley. Thank you, Trevor, for injecting that in. Yeah, that was something that I hadn't originally accounted for, and then after we did the first couple recordings, and Tony specifically, or you specifically said when introducing Tony that he's not about the criminal life, I'm like, okay, well... Let's see if I can make this work for everybody. And it really has. I mean, because it's like, if you think about it, wasn't Link truly stealing the Triforce away from Ganon throughout it, you know? <laughs> it's just like, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, just how, it's just how you phrased it, you know? But and that's, that's what's so good about the, um, just the, the versatility of, or, or the variety of all of our different things, but yet how they have this overlapping thing that tends to bring them all together when needed and be able to complete the task at hand. I've got a, just a couple more things that I want to touch base on before we wrap this up. Um, it, there, there was a point in the podcast where I could tell it became real for Brian. And it was after I'd started to bring some of the ramifications of all the decisions you had made for every single character. You know, Tajmil losing his thieving crew and losing all of his money. Uh, Eleanor coming and taking Tony's money. Uh, Harmony reducing Falcom's spirit and then Snee reducing Merida's influence. And so I could, I could tell there was a turning point in one line of dialogue that Brian was saying where he, the story got real for him. Uh, does anybody else have a moment like that that they can remember where they're like, yeah, this is something that I am emotionally invested in now, and I am I, I care deeply about what happens to my character? Uh, Fluffles getting stolen. Yeah, that was truly a national tragedy for all of us, I think. At least for me, you know, because I, I can't imagine if my bird got lost, but, well, maybe a little bit that wouldn't be so bad, but. Still, says the I man who it wanted to sell him his food him. to the first person we ran across. <laughs> <laughs> it's your problem now, buddy, not mine. <laughs> I still don't know if Tajmil likes Sonichu or not. <laughs> it's a it's a strange dichotomy. I mean, I I definitely enjoyed playing him throughout, but uh, you hinted after the battle and when I'd gone unconscious, like, oh, John, there's going to be consequences. Like, are you sure you just want to let him get killed? And I'm like. 
uh, whatever, does does he really care if he dies? I mean, I'd, I'd be sad, but, you know, I'd just re-roll a new character. I feel like this is how he would go. And then it was like, I know it wasn't your intention, it was because of David, but then when Fluffles was gone, that was like the moment of, oh yeah, killing the character doesn't hurt, but removing his best friend? That is serious business. I think the moment for me was actually in the later episodes, and I really can't remember it, maybe 15, but it was like when Merida agreed to go with Tony to actually rescue the person and not for any like nefarious reasons just to do it and i felt like at that moment it was just kind of real that merida actually feels like actually accepts that she's fond for tony and it just like hit me as like a big impact oh, okay when you guys went to uh get the atm back from the other crew uh yeah and how about you david did you have a, a moment where the podcast really sunk in is like this is a story i want to hear I'd say mine was fairly early on. I've been pretty invested in this since day one. I think then I put the bug in your ear to start this dang thing. So, like, I, yeah, I, day negative one. I've been planning my character and like thinking it over so much that as soon as you took off with a compelling narrative and I had a group of equally interesting characters all around me, it was real then. So. I've been invested since the first episode, maybe even. I like it. Yeah, probably even before, because David was the one who uh, first approached me about starting a podcast to begin with, and that was before we even had thought of uh, it being an RPG podcast, and especially the Mistborn RPG co- podcast. On on the note of Mistborn, let's, let's give another, like, head nod towards Crafty Games for how super supportive they've been the whole time. Yeah, I love the new dice. Oh Yeah, yeah those are pretty cool. Oh, am I the yeah, the, the only dice, one that the, doesn't the have them yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was actually telling the second group this. Uh, you are the one who lives closest to me other than Kelly since we live in the same place, but like, yeah. you are the one who has not gotten the dice yet despite being the second most accessible person to me. Yeah, not like we haven't seen each other in person, like, within the last week. <laughs> oh, but yeah, Crafty Games has been awesome so far, and uh Brandon Sanderson, we have to give thanks to the creator of the entire shebang. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think we can thank him enough. I, Yeah, we shouldn't expound on all our Brandon Sanderson love. We'll all be here a couple more hours, so... Yeah, I, I could spend 16 episodes alone talking about how much I enjoy his stuff. <laughs> Definitely one of my favorites. And let's not forget Steve Argyle. He's been super awesome supportive and letting us use oh, his yeah. artwork. Oh, yeah. Great guy. Is that the artist? Letting us use his artwork, and then he's always liking yeah. it. Yeah. Shout out to him on Twitter about new episodes. Um, I, we should sing, send in a thanks to Britt for putting the logo together with us for us at Boardroom Design. Uh, that turned out just super amazing. Um, I, I really love the quality of things we've been able to deliver, even though we're just a hobby podcast. Yeah, it's definitely hit me. Like, we're not that big. We're fairly small. And to have all this sport, it's been really awesome. Yeah, I, I, I love the logo, absolutely. I think the first thing I told Trevor once the podcast came out, I'm like, man, you know, I go look at, like, this is my first time with a podcast application. I've downloaded these other ones. And immediately ours pops out as like, oh, this shit looks real. While these others that have been around for longer probably have more, you know, money to throw around at it than we do kind of look amateur in comparison with the logo. At least it's not the first logo that was designed. <laughs> we won't we, wait, what was Never mind, logo? we won't go into it. <laughs> but... I just, uh, Wait, I need to, now. I need to know it, now. It was the one that you That's and like I a red kind of, uh, brainstormed on, Brian. The the very first concept that we handed over to Brit. I can't even really remember what that was now. I think it's somewhere in your uh, Discord chat history with me, it, or no, maybe it's, it's in, in the, my uh, general. I think maybe. Yeah, in your server. For so yeah, so <laughs> it's okay. just. I'm scrolling up uh, now to see it. Oh, okay. I see. Oh, yeah. Started from the bottom now. 
Yeah, yeah, that does look like crap. <laughs> so nice. <laughs> and see. I mean, you guys tried. <laughs> you did well, but like... <laughs> yeah. It, it's a concept. On it's such concept short statue. notice, I and mean... this is in general? In my uh, general. For the audience, I will never release a picture of this. Yeah, it's not good, <laughs> no. Oh, come on. There, there's that's, there's you a have specific... To part of it a detail that i objected to i think and then trevor once he saw it can never unsee post it to this general oh i think i see what you're talking about now (laughs) all right does anybody have anything else (laughs) okay yeah that they want to touch on before i ask my final question i mean um I can't really think of anything right now. I've just had a lot of fun with everyone. I mean, where, let me ask you this. Without giving too much away, where do you see Season 2 going? Um, I, I guess it just depends on how, uh, how, how focused the group is. Because we, we've spent 16 episodes doing what I thought might take 5 or 6 to do originally. And so, honestly, I, I see us covering a lot more ground, but uh, that's another thing that I just really enjoy about the Mistborn Adventure game, is I'm allowing you guys to just interrupt whenever you want. You know, like, Brian, you're you're about, like, injecting reali- realism into it, about saying, you know, I'm going to go to the market and get some food because Tajmil would be hungry. And so well, that would take a little bit more time and more more away from the progress we're making towards the main story. It also makes for some compelling narrative in other ways because i'm able to take those side stories and throw things in there and so i i could see us doing two or three times as much forward momentum on the main story as we've done so far but on the same token if you guys decide that you want to take your time and really explore the world and take everything that's put in front of you um so like for example when you guys went to the lord mistborn's manor to get the information about uh falster bornham being kidnapped and I put the protesters outside of his mansion. I think I even specifically said in the episode, they're not going to stop you from going in because they're not striking and think you're scabs, but they're just there as set dressing. And suddenly we're putting on a magic show to distract them so the rest of the crew can get through. <laughs> and like that's, that's something that I absolutely love. I'm going to keep putting toys down for everybody to play with if they choose. And if they don't get picked up, then we're going to make more forward progress. Otherwise, we're just going to you know, keep exploring at the pace that the group wants to, because I don't, I don't want to railroad us and force us into this narrative. If you guys want to spend more time playing around and looking into things, right on. On the note of the magic show, you've reminded me. One of my favorite moments in the podcast is where I'm trying to like, okay, what happens in normal magic shows? And I'm like, okay, here are these metal rings. Sir, why don't you demonstrate that they're not magical? And then you immediately are like, he tries to eat it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit, I should have thought of that. Well done. That is exactly <laughs> what would happen in a mistborn world. I mean, it could have been Laracium. How is he supposed to know? <laughs> it's true. I don't think the common person knows about Laracium. I, I think it was mentioned in the words of Founder. Is it? Wait, what is Laracium? It can give you the full oh. Mistborn powers. Yeah, it, it, it's basically a, a physical piece of God's power in the form of a metal. Interesting. So it's like DMT, but in uh, metallic form. In its actual magic, <laughs> you don't just sit there for 30 minutes stoned. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, last question I have. Um, how did you guys feel about the the big reveal of stealing from the Lord Mistborn. Oh, that was right up my alley. That that's like, yeah, uh, that that yeah. He, Tajmil started salivating as soon as he heard that plan. I think from this is gonna. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I think for me, the biggest thing wasn't really stealing from Lord Mistborn. It was the fact that you have like Snee and then the group we just stole from right there that was the most fun and interesting <laughs> like hey guys you just like screwed over these people in the past get to work with them yay yeah for me uh, this is probably going to come across a bit dickish which I'm not intending to do but I'm I'm just going to go with the blunt of what I, I felt for me it kind of felt like a little obvious I was like oh well what else would we be doing if we were gathering the secretive group like, that was just kind of my assumption. Oh, yeah, we're going to probably steal from the Lord Mistborn. I was expecting the the big reveal to be kind of like 
you know, he's he's someone that we know, or or Alloy is like maybe an off-worlder from Roshar, or you know, something. So for me, I was a little bit like, oh, okay, that's that's a reveal. I was a little disappointed. Okay, yeah, and David actually, uh, I don't know if he had a similar reaction when it happened, but uh, we had been talking about Tessney and getting the ATM to him, and um, David's just like, well, if we hadn't done it, he probably would have made us do something ridiculous, like steal from the Lord Mistborn. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it. I I thought it's, I mean, it's obvious, but also, if you're going to go for a big fish, why not the biggest fish? I think that there's going to be more twists and turns. I expect Trevor's not just going to make this, oh, we're going to go for his treasury where we're going to steal all his boxings. I actually, personally, I have an idea where Trevor's going with this, but it's pretty complicated. Trevor? Yeah, I'm, I, I guess I want to clarify when I said I was disappointed, I meant with the reveal, not with the direction. Because okay. I think it's definitely a great direction to launch the second oh, yeah. season in. Yeah, it, it, it's going to be a great mission. I'm sure it's going to be convoluted as all get out, considering the talents and the people that we have with us, and the group dynamics are certainly going to be interesting. Well, as someone who doesn't like have as much, you know, like I've read the books, but I haven't read like everyone with the secrets and stuff. It did feel like a big reveal to me. That's awesome. Well, and to uh, uh, quote another one of his books, it's uh, Journey Before Destination. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure we could mess up any of Trevor's well-laid plans if we, you know, had an idea in five seconds and decided to go with it. Oh, easily. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, unless anybody else has anything that they want to bring up. I just want to say um, I've had a lot of fun with everyone, and I'm glad the podcast has turned out like it is, because it's been great. Yeah, it has been oh, very yeah. enjoyable. Yeah, I've I've had a great time playing uh, with everybody, and I look forward to continuing. And I also enjoy the tiny following that we have so far. Just anybody that gets any enjoyment out of this, it, it's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Thank you guys for listening. Like, Seeing the numbers pop up on Podbean or every once in a while when we get a comment or a review or anything like that, it, you know, it, this is enjoyable by itself, but just that little bit of positive reinforcement, it means the world to us. So, like, if you have any questions, any comments, anything at all, you know, email lostlegendsofscotrail at gmail.com, out our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash LLOS podcast, um, at LLOS podcast at Tumblr or, um, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, anytime that you want to message us, you know, we'd be more than happy to talk to anybody. Yeah, on that note, let's give a shout out to Itchy Dog for having very early on and at least a couple of times given us a shout out. Yeah, definitely. Itchy Dog, um, let's see, there, there's a couple of people who have done iTunes reviews and I know I shouted out to them in the particular episodes when they popped up. Like, it, it means the world to us that you're sharing this journey with us and we couldn't be happier with it. Yeah, any feedback course, or anything we fall in love with, it's great. And of course, uh, Anthony from um, shoot, why am I blanking on this podcast now? Uh, Adventure Incorporated, Thank which you, I'm yeah. about halfway through their episodes so far. Their D and D podcast, uh, it's been a lot of fun. I really enjoy the way that he's been DMing and the story that he's put out. So yeah, let's definitely shout out to Anthony over at Adventure Inc. because uh, I've had a lot of fun listening to them. And then jumping in on our. One, um, Twitter's not a day, Twitch, our one Twitch TV stream and, uh, <laughs> chatting with us. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, uh, that's a good place for us to end. Uh, thank you for listening to the first season. I know it's going to be a little while before we get to the second season, but with our schedules, you know, we just need a little bit of time to catch up on recordings and everything. But in two weeks' time, we're going to listen to, we're going to release the first episode with the Alloy of Law era group. Uh, we just recorded that very recently in terms of this time frame, and it was just, it was wild and crazy and a lot of fun. Uh, it's going to be a little bit more structured like uh, you would expect a regular D&D podcast to go where we're more quest-oriented and short-style stories instead of the long-form 
that we've been going with here. So hopefully it'll give a little bit of a different feel. That way it doesn't feel like you're you're going back and getting all of this exposition again and moving at a slower pace. Like lots of action right from the get go, and I'm just so excited to bring that to you. So uh, thank you guys for all the support for season one. Uh, I'm hoping that we have just as much fun in season 1.5, and we can't wait to get going on season two and get there to start releasing those as well. I'm going to jump in. I'm sorry to ruin that perfect outro that you just gave, but talking about the second group just made me realize I want to give out a shout-out to Carl. But it's, it's been hilarious to have her joining the crew, and she listened in on episodes 15 and 16 uh, recording and then just kind of leaving all kinds of hilarious comments in our internal Discord while, while we're in the middle of uh, recording it. It's been fun to have her kind of join and, and her friends. Uh, I haven't talked much with Zach yet uh, in the group, but um, I'm looking forward to seeing them in the next one. I actually listened in on their first recording, and let me tell you, it's going to be a good one. So they're all doing Wonderful. pretty great from the episode one. And it, it, it is a lot faster paced, at least in that episode one, than we usually go. So should be interesting. Nice. Yeah, can't wait to hear what any listeners think of it. So uh, thank you guys for listening. Feel free to shout out to us anytime, and uh, this group will catch you next season. Bye. Thank you. Bye. See you then. Mistborn and all related properties are owned by Brandon Sanderson and Dragonsteel Entertainment. The Mistborn Adventure Game is a product of Crafty Games. Special thanks to Steve Argyle for letting us use his artwork for the logo, and to Boardroom Design for putting the logo together for us. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at LLOS Podcast. Or give us an email at lostlegendsofscadriel at gmail.com. We hope that you'll like and share and give us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.